Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, we're cleaning out the Labo Garage to make room for a shiny new game builder garage. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I'm joined, as I'm always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. We've got a good show for you today. We are going to be talking about the news from the week, including the announcement of Game Builder Garage for the Nintendo Switch. And then on Thursday, in honor of Famicom Detective Club coming to Switch, we are casting the great detectives of fiction as Nintendo characters. But Mark, in the meantime, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, last night... I watched uh, My Fair Lady, the movie, for the first time in, um, I don't even know the last time that I watched it. Yeah. And uh, I didn't really enjoy it all that much. Which, it's um, long and slow, it right? Is, it is so long and slow. It's, it is yeah. legitimately like three hours long. And kind of the crazy thing about it to me is that it feels like nothing happens. And then... Yeah. But like the pl- like the plot such as it is takes up maybe like an hour. Like there are so many like turns in character where it's like that are completely unexplained. But instead of like spending time to delve into why characters are making the choices they're making, instead it's just time is spent forever on the dumbest <laughs> minutia. I don't know. I like there were even like songs I was looking forward to, and then they're like a minute and a half. And then there are other songs that you're just like, I cannot believe right. Rex Harrison is just continuing to talk sing through this stupid song. I, I was really disappointed. I mean, it's, it's tough. Cause like, I, I feel kind of the same way about West side story, right? Like, um, West side story, uh, achingly long, the opening like sequence, not even credits, right. Uh, is just, it's like five minutes of like the logo slowly fading up as the overture plays under it. And like, all of that makes sense. When, like, you're going to a theater and you're seeing a performance of West Side Story, you're like, this is my night. I'm here for it. I'm experiencing the sounds are washing over me. I'm in a concert hall. Uh, There's a stage. There are costumes. When you're just watching it on TV, you're like, this is a pandemic watch. I am watching it because we are in a pandemic (laughs) and I can't leave my house. Uh, So, Mark, I hope that that was maybe among your last pandemic watches. I guess I mean it wasn't intentionally, but now I I maybe I am swearing off because uh, I like before this I was like okay uh, I kind of want to watch the Music Man again I haven't seen that for a really long time, but like sure. th- that uh My Fair Lady was available uh, as part of my Netflix subscription so I was like okay like I'll start out with My Fair Lady, man like Audrey Hepburn as Eliza Doolittle, um, headache inducing like it's just not I was. Just it's just not good. I it's just I think it's just not very good. Speaking of headache inducing, my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch. Would you like to borrow it? You can certainly try. All you gotta do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com, gmail.com and give us a mailing address where we can send this game to. So a mailing address, presumably where you live or where you can pick up the mail. <laughs> And we will send you my copy of Sonic Forces. You can play it for as long as you want, and then you send it back. I pay for postage both ways. Um, one thing, you may get my copy of Untitled Goose Game. This is just a thing that happens. Uh, it doesn't mean that the program is functioning incorrectly. Uh, this is just now a part of the program. No one can stop the goose. Uh, so uh, enjoy one or the other. You have no say in which one you get. Uh, so just do that and get on board with the program. We are also asking for your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Um, yeah, I, I feel like every once in a while we have these NPR-like drives where we're just uh, asking for people to leave reviews if you haven't in the past. It helps out the show a bunch. Um, it helps people find the show. And uh, it also just warms Patrick and I heart. Patrick, uh, what would... Okay. I'm, uh, Patrick's and my hearts? Because it's I, not as though we share a collective heart, right? That's it right. warms Patrick's heart and my heart. I think. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I think I think that is what we'll go with. So thank you to Average Joe 2.0 and 
112-113-111 for your reviews in the U.S. Apple Podcast app. Um, and if you have left us reviews elsewhere, we really appreciate it. Average Joe 2.0 calls uh, 4.33 a brilliant idea. So thank you so much, <laughs> Average Joe 2.0. Well, all credit to John Cage on that one, I think. Um, you know, I think I went to high school with a 1112-1113-111. I wonder if it's the same person. Um, Mark, before we get into uh, what we've been playing this week, um, we got an email from uh, a listener from uh, Emma, um, and Emma regales us with the following story. Hi, Mark and Patrick. I'm a longtime listener of your show, as well as the original recipient of the Sonic Forces borrowing program. I love what you guys do, and listening to you has been especially helpful over the last year of extreme boredom. In order to fill the void, I've definitely been playing a lot more than usual, uh, been gaming a lot more than usual. Animal Crossing, of course, replaying Breath of the Wild for the third time, revisiting Celeste, and recently spending way too many hours with the new update in Stardew Valley, to name a few. I had noticed pretty soon after getting my Switch in 2017 that I definitely had some Joy-Con drift going on. I remember hearing about it on your podcast and was uh, glad to realize that I wasn't the only one with the problem. It wasn't too bad, and obviously the controllers lasted me for a few years without too many issues. However, over the last few months of playing, the drift became unbearable. Sometimes I could barely move my farmer in Stardew Valley, and other times she would dash up the screen when I wasn't even touching the joystick. Needless to say, this wreaked havoc on my crop harvests and combat prowess. I knew that I couldn't continue like this for much longer. But come on, $80 for one new set of Joy-Con? When a less frugal past version of myself had already invested in three pairs, I couldn't bear the thought. Then it hit me. I remembered hearing on your podcast a while back that Nintendo would repair affected Joy-Con free of charge. I figured it would take a while for them to process the order request, but to my delight, they sent me a shipping label the next day. I packaged them up, sent them off, and got the confirmation once they were there. They said that if there was a problem that was caused by outside factors, such as water damage, they would let me know and charge a repair replacement fee. However, today I got the email that all of my Joy-Con are being shipped back to me, and I didn't pay a dime. I'm really pleased with this service and just want to let you guys know that it's definitely a good option to fix those Joy-Con. Perhaps you could let other listeners know that it's a good option to pursue. The turnaround time was surprisingly short, around nine days, so I didn't have to bear the pain of not being able to play the games for too long. Uh, I actually started reading a book this week, which I haven't done in about six months, so it's definitely been good for me in many ways. Uh, I probably shouldn't have waited, or I probably should have waited until I actually got the Joy-Con to write you guys back, so I could tell you if they actually repaired them or just replaced them with new ones, but I got too excited when I saw that they were already on their way back home to me. Maybe I'll send a follow-up email. Uh, although this one is already incredibly long, it will probably be painstaking to read. Oh, well, hope it wasn't too torturous for you guys. TLDR sent in my drifting Joy-Con for repair, and it was free and only took nine days. Ten out of ten. Would recommend. Keep up the good work, Emma. Uh, Emma, don't you dare ever apologize to us for sending a long email. Uh, that is a delightful journey. Um, that is uh, not a service that I have uh, taken advantage of, Mark. I, I don't know about you. Like, my old Joy-Con just drifted themselves into obscurity and I bought a new pair. Yeah, I did too, like a sucker. Because I, uh, I like Emma, was kind of like, ooh, is it going to be worth the hassle? Um, but sounds like it wasn't bad at all. So maybe I, sh maybe I still should. I still have the old Joy-Con that don't work um, or that's drifting. I just replaced it with a new pair. Um, but maybe I should send in the old one. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we all I think we all should. I, I I know that there was a I believe there was a period when we were talking about it towards the beginning of the pandemic, when uh like Nintendo had like closed down the service when they like weren't offering it for a while. Um, but now that it seems like that's uh you know back in in action again, like yeah, I, I, Emma, I am inspired by your example. I'm going to send in my drifting Joy Cons as well. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's. It's a a cool service. I'm I'm glad Nintendo offers it, and I'm glad that it uh, seemingly works. Yeah, yeah. Um. All right. Thank you, Emma, for writing in. If anyone uh, ha has a similar story, or not a similar story, but just a story that you would like uh, to <laughs> bring up, look. If you have that exact same story, do not send it in. <laughs> we have that story already. Thank you, Emma. Uh, you can always email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. All right, Mark. Let's get into what we have been playing this week.
So I've been reading a book called Itchy Tasty, which is an unofficial history of Resident Evil by Alex O'Neill, who's a, uh, he works for a video game music label, Braveway Productions, and um, he also works for Limited Run Games. And uh, the, he's a really big Resident Evil fan, um, moved to Japan in like 2007, and uh, had opportunities to speak to a lot of the developers of the series. And so he's kind of, he's written this history of uh, the series from Inception to uh, Resident Evil 4 is the end of it. Um, and so uh, it's available for Kindle now. I picked it up. Uh, the hard, there's a hardcover that's coming out in July. I believe it was crowdfunded, but um, I guess going into it, I was expecting it to be more like an oral history, and it's not. It's uh, he's like taking all of you know the information in from, and occasionally we'll do direct quotes from people, but for the most part, is kind of just like telling the story um, of how sure. these games were made, and so it's it's interesting. Um, I I think like because I was expecting it to be like a little more in depth, I was surprised that like all of the original Resident Evil is covered in, like, a single chapter. So it's very, like, uh, oh. it's, yeah, yeah. So it's, like, uh, it covers a lot of territory, but it's not, like, extremely in-depth on, like, each one. Um, and so, like, I would, I'm enjoying it, but it's not exactly what I was expecting, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Um, when you get there, you'll have to tell me uh, how much there is about Resident Evil Code Veronica, my absolute favorite resident evil game because <laughs> i would love to uh learn learn more about it um do they touch on uh the um like full motion video opening of the uh, original resident evil um cuz i i thought i had read somewhere that that wasn't part of the uh japanese release of the game but i maybe make that may be apocryphal you know i don't remember if if it if he does touch on it it's really short in to the point where like i don't remember it he does spend yeah. time talking about like the the voice acting and how that came to be and um why it's like kind of has that really like hokey over the top delivery um but no like the full motion video uh i don't recall really him mentioning it at all i think that is a part of resident evil history that has mostly been eradicated right <laughs> i don't know that people remember that the original resident evil started with full motion videos with actors like li not voice actors but like actors playing the roles of jill and chris and barry uh and i guess wesker too um and like a really bad like rubber dog puppet like uh not like uh, the Triumph the Comic Insult dog, but like not too far off. <laughs> like if you just put a cigar in that dog's mouth, you'd be like, that's Triumph. Um, yeah, and this like, you know, just kind of laying in the cheesy zombie horror element of it by giving like a full motion video opening. Yeah, there's a, so much of that first game that in my mind has just completely been supplanted by the remake. Totally. Where, like, I feel like the most... Like, w when you see footage of the first game, it's a little bit shocking, like, from, like, the dog meme or whatever, uh, just because yeah. you're like, oh, right, this was, like, a PlayStation 1 game, and it looks like a PlayStation 1 game. Uh, I think of Resident Evil so differently now than, yeah. you know, how it was originally. But, so, yeah, it's, it's such a PlayStation 1 game that even the pre-rendered backgrounds look kind of crummy you know what i mean <laughs> they they do talk a little bit about how like uh they explored you know like having it be full 3d and like all that kind of stuff um so again i i'm it is interesting the kindle version is about 10 bucks and uh it's like 250 pages so again i was expecting it to be like really in-depth and it is not that at all but for what it is it, it is enjoyable it definitely feels like a fan labor of love and, like, the opportunity to talk to all these amazing creators, I think, would be incredible. So it's cool that he has turned some of that knowledge into, like, a book for everybody to enjoy. Yeah, super cool. And, like, right in our area of interest, I may also uh, pick that up. <clears throat> what have you been playing, Mark? I've also been playing, I guess not also, I have been playing Rhythm Heaven Megamix uh, on the Nintendo 3DS. You know, last week I talked about this game. It is incredibly fun. It's incredibly cute. I think last week I said, like, or in the past at least, I have expressed that they should make a Switch version. And, you know, playing the 3DS version, 
I actually, I think I want to walk that back a little bit because I don't know that mm. we need a Switch version. I think that uh, Rhythm Heaven, in a lot of ways, has like done what it is going to do. Like, I don't really know what a Switch version could bring other than just being available on the Switch. But it did make me want, uh, I just wish it was easier to access some of these older games on Switch. So not even necessarily yeah. like Rhythm Heaven uh, Mega Mix for the 3DS, but like uh, Rhythm Heaven Fever for Wii. Or it's just a shame that like th those games are on systems that, you know, uh, I don't own anymore, so it's just harder to access. I don't know. It's it's a half-formed thought, but I just wish it was easier to get these, like, games. Like uh, Elite Beat Agents on the Nintendo DS, right? I've heard that game is really uh, entertaining, really unique. I've never played it. I don't know that I'll ever really have an opportunity to play it now. And so it would just be nice if that sort of stuff was easier to access. 100%. I mean, like... There are like 20 different Fire Emblem games and you can play two of them on the Switch, you know, like there, there is such a library of all different kinds of games from throughout Nintendo's history. Um, and like, you know, that some of them are going to be like represented uh, in uh, like the uh, NES Switch Online or the Super NES Switch Online or in, you know, various uh, remaster packages and, and whatnot. Um, the 3D All-Stars were getting Skyward Sword. Um, and then there are rumors of all these other Zelda games coming, uh, all that stuff, but it's like, it, yeah, it just, the, the, the lack of virtual console is, has always been like something on switch where you're like, Hey, what's going on here? Why, why isn't this, it was a feature of your hardware and now it is no longer a feature. Um, it, I, I don't know. It's, it's starting to feel like the further we get from the platforms that had the virtual console on them. That it's like, well, wait a minute. No, those things are really gone. Like, we really don't have access to them anymore. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I also feel like, you know, playing this, I, it feels a little bit like I understand. I don't know. I'm torn a little bit where it's like Nintendo is a large company, but it is also like a small company who yeah. is very focused on certain things. And Rhythm Heaven to me feels like a passion project for somebody. And so, but, in, but like creating a new Rhythm Heaven uh, comes at the cost would come at the cost of like creating something else and so it's like i feel like nintendo has kind of done everything they can do with rhythm heaven uh and i wouldn't want them to make a new rhythm heaven in place of like snipper clips or something else that's like weird sure, and new, yeah. unique that like nintendo has published um but i just wish that like rhythm heaven was more accessible uh yeah i don't need a new one but i just want to like the existing ones to be accessible is kind of where I'm coming down on it. And, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, it, but it is a super fun game. Like if you have never played a rhythm heaven game, or even if you have, uh, they're really cute. Um, but it is interesting. I, I think now more than ever, Nintendo, I feel like doesn't really do these like B tier, like C tier franchises with really low production values. And, um, that are just kind of like quirky and fun. Like, I don't feel like we get that as much as we used to now that everything's on the Switch. I mean, I think we're about to though. Like the we'll talk about it in a little we'll talk about both these things in a little bit. But like the Famicom Detective Club games are like obviously like sort of middle tier. Um uh and uh the game builder garage is also kind of like a middle tier experience. And like they're all they're both like kind of weirder examples of like not mainline Nintendo things. Um, so like, I don't know. I, and may, maybe those are, uh, okay because they're like either so strange. I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know what the difference is really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mark, I've been playing a lot of Picross S2, um, because as we talked about, uh, all of the Picross games were on sale the other week and look, the difference between paying like eight bucks for it and like 720 is like not really anything but i took advantage anyway um so i've been playing just a whole heck of a lot of picross s2 um it's got these uh these clip puzzles in it where uh you're doing uh like several puzzles together um that make up one big image uh which is really fun and exciting and uh i'm i'm worried that i'm going going to have burned through this this whole game uh, and like all of the content that it has to offer in like a week and a half. Um, 
but man, Picross is just uh, you know hits hits the uh, like calm down center of my brain uh, so so nicely and so completely um, that I keep going back to it. Um, and then the other games I've been playing fall under the category of things I keep going back to. Hades, look, I'm still playing Hades, but Mark, I have accomplished something new oh. now that I have not accomplished before. <laughs> um, there is uh, uh, Charon, who is the uh, the driver of the boat uh, on the River Styx. Um, he also sells you things uh, in, in the game, and if you, you can steal his like bag of money, um, and then he challenges you to a fight, and there is uh, an achievement in the game where you have to beat him in two consecutive fights um and he's very challenging like he's harder than hades um and so like you know there it's it was something that was like i'm never going to be able to do i'm never going to be able to beat him in two consecutive fights especially because like i've more or less reached a place where like i've maxed out um you know zagreus's abilities to to fight um but so i i beat him once uh you know like a month or two ago and was like, oh, wow, that's incredible. Next time I get myself to a point in a run where I can see his money that I can steal and I'm in a good place, because there are frequently times when you'll come upon him and see his money and you're like, I'm not, I haven't picked up enough uh, boons or whatever to really stand a chance. Um, but I was like, the next time I'm in a good place, I'm going to do it. And it's going to be like a do or die kind of moment, because if I mess it up, then I got to start it over again. Um, and I did it. I beat him. I beat him in the in the second consecutive fight. Uh, it was a very uh, proud, happy moment for me. It made me feel like accomplished. That's awesome. Um, and then um, animal in Animal Crossing, uh, I've decided that I want to cover my house in posters of my neighbors. Um, so you can get posters of your neighbors if you take photographs of them on Harv's Island. Um, but you have to do that while they live on your island, right? So mm-hmm. there are some neighbors I have that have moved away that I never took pictures of and therefore can't buy their posters. So if anyone wants to send me an Agnes poster or a, an Apple poster, uh, that would be great. I would love that. Oh, so you can share posters with people? I mean, it's just like if you're sending, uh, just like sending anything to anyone. Nice. Um, so if people have uh, Apple or Agnes on their island, um, take pictures, buy their poster, send, send it to me. <laughs> I will appreciate it. Um, and then it's, yeah, it's just, it's just great. Like I can go inside my house in Animal Crossing and see all of my friends past and present. Uh, it's beautiful. And when I say all of my friends, I know they're just my Animal Crossing friends. <laughs> they're not my real friends. Uh, all right, Mark, that's what we've been playing this week. Let's get into the new releases and what we might be playing next week. Well, Patrick, you mentioned uh, these new releases in passing, but on Friday, May 14th, the Famicom Detective Club games are coming to the Nintendo Switch. Uh, The Missing Air and The Girl Who Stands Behind are both released. They are 35 bucks each, but if you um, buy one, you get 10 bucks off the other one. Uh, So if you buy both, it's 60 bucks. Um, They're just eShop releases, I think. I can't remember if they're doing physical versions yeah, of this I or was, not. I, I was looking around for physical versions just because I thought, um, you know, that, that would be like almost a perfect solution to like buy a, a, a physical uh, copy of it and kind of trade it between us. It does not seem as though there, there are physical copies um, of, of, of the game. So it's, it's, it's digital or nothing. I am going to buy uh, The Missing Air. The first one is... Yeah. The one that I was planning on buying, but then uh, some impressions of the games came out a few weeks ago, and it sounds like that it was um, that they are very faithful re- recreations of Famicom Detective Club, uh, which were originally games on the Famicom system, the Japanese equivalent of the Nintendo Entertainment System, and uh, and so that means that it has some of like the '80s jank to it, right, and like the systems sure. and stuff like that. <laughs> And so I, I was so, uh, but according to the impressions that the girl who stands behind has a little bit less of it, probably because it is like the second game and they were able to make some adjustments to it. So I don't know which one I'll actually end up getting. I'm wondering if I should wait for, um, I, I'm not, I'm not planning on buying both right now, but I wonder if I should wait for like reviews or impressions to see also which like story is more interesting. I'm not really sure which yeah. way to go with it. Um, I think I 
am going to pick up both of them. Oh, f- first of all, uh, I I, I want to understand, and I don't know if you have this information, um, but can you buy one and then get $10 off the, the second one later? Or do you have to buy them both and get 10 bucks off? I don't think so. Like, because I don't think there's a mechanism to do that. Like, I don't, there, I don't think there's like a double pack on Switch. I think okay. you buy one. And then since you own one, the other one, like when you go, you get a discount on it. I, yeah. I think how it works. Um, yeah. And it seems like the, the stories are uh, unrelated from each other. So like if we play them out of order, that, that's probably okay. I would like to uh, get on the same page with you about which one uh, to pick up because I think like this is, you know, like sometimes you can be like, okay, let's split up, right? And do right. different ones. But like, I want to talk about the story of it with you. So like, I don't want to talk about like, a different story as you're talking about one story like let's let's get on the same page let's do the same one okay got it got it so maybe okay maybe we should i will stick with my original plan then and i will get the missing air just because it is the first one and that seems like yeah. a fine place to start yeah okay great so uh, it's it's on the record here we are going to be playing the missing air probably talking about it at some point on the show um but uh so that's that's where we're starting uh, and that's it, it's exciting. Like there is something very compelling about um, Nintendo reaching back into their like weird ancient history. Not ancient, you know, like uh, late eighties, early nineties, um, and like taking Japanese only stuff and like bringing them over and localizing it and presenting it with like, you know, you say it's got all the like old uh, old game jank to it, but it looks great, right? Like. It's all uh, they, they've redone every, every, all, all, all the assets um, and there's voice acting and stuff. I think just in Japanese, though, is I that I think right? that's right. Yeah. Um, but in any event, uh, the, the whole thing just seems very cool and intriguing and I want more. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And yeah, you're right. I uh, always enjoy when Nintendo brings this kind of like previously Japanese exclusive stuff over. Like I remember when Sin and Punishment the Nintendo yeah. 64 game became available on the Wii eShop. And I like bought it immediately, even though I uh, playing Nintendo 64 games on the Wii, I thought was a super weird experience. Um, yeah. But uh, just for whatever reason, like the, uh, the pro controller just didn't feel like a good equivalent to the Nintendo 64 controller. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it's fun for me as a fan of Nintendo to get this stuff that I've never seen before. And to have it like kind of like lovingly recreated in the way that they have with the Famicom Detective Club games. And like it's checking all the boxes like adventure games, yeah. um, murder mysteries, murder you know, mystery. like all the stuff that I really like. Um, yeah. And, then, yeah. and so and then also on Friday, the uh, May 14th, Subnautica and Subnautica Below Zero are released on Switch. And these are well-regarded survival games. Um, that are out, at least on PC, maybe on other platforms that are now coming to Switch. The original Subnautica, um, you like are crash landing on an alien planet, and it, it takes entire place entirely below the surface of the ocean on this planet. And um, it's all about like survival, so uh, resource management and all that kind of stuff. And I believe Subnautica Below Zero uh, takes place, it has sections on land as well as um, in the water. So. It looks kind of cool. Oh, I, hmm. I didn't realize there was a, a a land portion of Below Zero. It's it's definitely in like a, a frozen area. Yeah, it's right? like Where a tundra. Yeah. yeah. Um, super cool. Uh, maybe too scary. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, swimming around in an alien ocean uh, sounds at once exciting and uh, also terrifying to me. Um, so like, I don't know. It feel it feels like it might be too scary. I feel like for me, like with these with survival games, the systems are it's really tricky because it's like, well, the point of this is to like manage a bunch of systems like you would have to in real life. But if the systems are too fiddly and they require like too much work, then I like I just kind of get bored or overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll probably want it to be more just experiential and more explory um, than that actually is. Um, all right, uh, those are the new releases. Let's close this segment out. Which brings us to a regular segment on our show. It is time 
for the brilliant 433. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or a group of performers didn't play their instruments for 4 minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. So, for the duration of one performance, 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo-related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Mark, today we are going to be taking a suggestion from Martin. Uh, Martin says, uh, I clicked away. He says, what are your memories of going on the internet for the first time? Uh, Mark, what were your, where, where were you accessing the internet for the first time in, in your home at school? Yeah, I actually, I think the first time I had the internet was at home. Um, and it probably happened like around the same time that we got it at school as well yeah so it all kind of like melds together for me but um yeah we had like moved to a new state a new house and we got cable and then shortly after that we got internet and so it was kind of like yeah, a that it was, was a that banner was time too. not a new state but yeah yeah <laughs> um what was your uh household's first internet service provider oh man i can't even remember it was some like local service provider that sure. i'm sure you know, uh, like some local telecom that also offered dial-up service. Um, we had Prodigy. We used Prodigy, um, and I still remember our, our our login. You had to like log in to the Prodigy service in order to like access any web pages. Um, and I remember our login was DQXW ninety two, and then either A, B, C, or D, depending on who you were. <laughs> I was B. My dad was A, my brother was D, <laughs> I think my mother was C, that was probably the least used one. Um, and, you know, I, I remember, like, seeing that there were, like, chat rooms, and being, like, mildly interested in those, but Prodigy had a, um, like, first-person perspective maze exploration what? game. Yeah, it had this game uh, where you were in a maze, and it was one of those where, like, you move like screen by screen, right? So like you push up and like you move forward one screen, very um uh shadowgate esque, right? Um and as you are in this maze you encounter like different creatures that live in the maze and sometimes you need to bring them like items or answer riddles or stuff like that. And it all had this super like, you know, uh MS paint uh kind of like aesthetic to it. Um and it's a game that I've never heard anyone else mention in any other format. Um, uh, and it's it's something I think about probably daily. <laughs> yeah, we, as far as I remember, never had like a AOL or like a Prodigy or anything like that. And I still to this day do not entirely understand what they were. Like what function did it serve? did prodigy serve yeah i, I mean it, it served as like a home page right like this was before there were search engines which is a i understand like a, it's like a mind-blowingly basic thing to be without when uh, searching the internet but you just had to like hyperlink your way from like you know from somewhere oh, to somewhere else i guess that makes sense because the funk so then that was like the function of i, I don't know if prodigy had a similar thing but like i remember like AOL used to be like enter AOL keyword, you know, yes. like Coca Cola, mm -hmm. and then it would take you presumably to the Coke site. And so, oh man, that's so that's crazy. My my early memories of the internet are really mostly around downloading like movie trailers, and <laughs> yeah. bandwidth was so slow that so slow. it was like the size of like postage postage stamps, and it would take hours for it to like uh download and so while it was to buffering, get that phantom menace trailer oh my gosh yeah i watched like the first like third like three seconds of the phantom menace trailer like for hours because you would like oh, it's get so good you would get like frames <laughs> at a time yep and it was just the uh it was the the mist and like some uh what when the when this uh the scene comes up in phantom menace uh, even if I'm watching it now, I get genuinely excited. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like the the Gungans riding their like weird horse things, like stepping out of the mist. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, that <sighs> um, but then you know you'd be downloading it, and then something would happen. You'd lose a connection, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so all the progress would be lost, and so you would have to start over. Um, but yeah, th that <laughs> really most of my memories are like downloading really short like video clips, um, and just having to take like hours. 
I remember going into chat rooms as well and just like talking to people um, and not like I don't remember like them being uh, on a specific topic or whatever. But I mean, you know, like I, I don't know how old I would have been, like 14, 15, something like that. Um, but like just rooms where it was like fun or entertainment or, or something like that. And yeah. just like. I, it's 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 weird it's weird to think that like you just go into a space where you're just like who is here and wants to talk and then people <laughs> did it sounds sounds like a nightmare now it does it does no thank you discord scares the crap out of me <laughs> um I, I i guess it's also it, it's a little bit later but you know i also remember spending a lot of time on like Napster and LimeWire and uh, those services to uh, steal all kinds of music before <laughs> I had any concept of like, oh, maybe that's not the best thing for me to be doing with my time. Well, it's also like there was no real way to. It w- yeah, I I don't think we have to feel bad about it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. There, there was no way for our individual decisions to make any any impact there. Um, at at that point. Um, all right, Mark. We were accompanied today by the K two Orchestra, as conducted by Yasuki Ichihara. Let's get into the news. Last week, Nintendo announced a brand new game via Twitter trailer sh- uh, shadow drop. It is. Game Builder Garage. Um, from Nintendo's website, they say, quote, Programming made fun. Have you ever dreamed of building your own video games? The Game Builder Garage software is a great place to start. Anyone can learn the basics of game design and visual programming with step-by-step lessons created by the minds at Nintendo. Uh, so, okay. Uh, this is a new like build-your-own-game uh, piece of software. Uh, coming from Nintendo with lessons, which I think is interesting, um, and uh, like I'm that that sounds in- intriguing that it's not just like the tools and here you go because like uh, the 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 video that they um, premiered um, to announce this thing, uh, you can tell that it shares a lot of DNA with the Labo Garage, which had uh, you know was basically like a a visual programming language. Um, that you could use to make the Labo thing do stuff. Um, and so, you know, you saw people like making their own Labo instruments and all kinds of other, um, you know, other things. But I think the big hang up there is that like, you know, you run out of reflective tape or like you need your own cardboard or there's really a limit to how many things you can do with a vibrating controller. Um, so it's it's neat to see them like just be like, strip that all away and just be like, no, we're going straight software on this. Yeah, and I, I think uh, the other thing that's so interesting to me is, like, with Labo Garage, it was, like, you needed something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, like, came with Labo. Presumably, you were creating something else. You were building something physical and then using Labo Garage to manipulate it. And this one um, is, like, uh, is about game creation, which I think is is a really interesting angle for them to take with this, like, Labo theme. Um, I, I'm curious, Patrick, if you have any thoughts on why Nintendo is pursuing like this software that is about like game design in a way that is like separate and unique from Mario Maker. Yeah, well, I I mean, it's interesting, right? Because Mario Maker like didn't sell poorly at all, right? Like that's, I'm not trying to imply that uh, Mario Maker didn't sell, but like it's not among their uh, top 10 uh, games. It's, you know, it's, it's an infinite Mario game. Um, but it seems like the moment for Mario Maker was in the original Mario Maker, not in Mario Maker 2. Um, so, like, yeah, it, it is interesting that they're, like, harvesting creativity in, like, a different way. Um, but, like, that's not a totally alien thing for Nintendo to do, right? Like, um, you know, I, I think back to, like, uh Mario Paint um on on the Super NES or even um uh you know WarioWare DIY um on the 3DS um that like had you had you making the the micro games um so like there there's always some element of that like in the in the back like buzzing around at Nintendo um it's just interesting how like holistic this one seems to be right yeah, it's both like holistic and also very like targeted towards beginners. 
Like, yeah. not that uh, I don't, I think people just like Labo Garage are going to create like amazing things and really push the boundaries of what uh, a game builder garage can do. But it, it feels very targeted at like beginners, not necessarily at kids, but it does feel very kid friendly. Um, there just feels something that I can't really articulate, but it's really intri- like intriguing to me because, you know, like you did have uh, WarioWare DYI, um, you had Mario Maker. And so elements of this has existed, but something about like presenting this without any of the like Mario theming, without any of the Wario theming, where it's just like kind of like nuts and bolts, like, hey, like uh, get your hands in here and like make a game. It feels very cool to me. It feels very like um, Nintendo, like uh, like, uh, opening the curtain a little bit and just like letting us in on something i i don't really know how to express it but it, it's it's really interesting to me it's interesting to me that it's only 30 bucks like um yeah it it, it i i'm really curious it's not for me re- in the sense that like i i look at this and I, it doesn't seem like fun to me to have to like create a game it's just something that has never appealed to me but um i'm so curious to see what people do with it yeah, well, and also like I'm, I'm interested in, um, what the tools are capable of, and what the tools prevent you from doing in, in both like a good way and a bad way, right? Like, um, I think the the obvious comp to draw here is to um, Dreams, which uh, came out on the PlayStation Four, um, last year was in beta for a long time, and you know, obviously it has uh PlayStation VR uh, compatibility and is uh, on PlayStation Five and all of that stuff, um, but like the it seems like there is no floor and there is no ceiling to dreams, right? That like you can do almost literally everything. It it talks a lot to um, your computers and like any way that you can record audio, um, any way that you can make music or make art assets, you can import them to this thing uh, and use uh, like what, like it it really is dreams is a sky's the limit uh, sort of software, which also means that like creating something in it is going to be, you know, this ungainly nightmare process of, like, you just have to do everything. Um, and I wonder, like, there's no way that that's what Nintendo's making, right? N- Nintendo's thing has to be, has to allow a lot of freedom, but guide you in a way or, like, limit you in a way um, that, like, I just, I just wonder how they are able to, if they're able to, strike a balance where it's, like, still interesting, uh, like, interesting and usable at the same time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and how much of that like Labo DNA, because Labo, one of the things it did a great job at was, you know, like step-by-step instructions and making that yeah. like easy to follow, but also engaging. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I think this is a super interesting project. Again, comes out on June 11th is 30 bucks. Uh, physical versions are available in North America and Japan, but not in Europe where it's going to be digital only um yeah game builder garage yeah very strange um it's uh it's interesting they they talked about how in the video about how you can uh share your creations with people via like a a code right uh, so like uh, a, a mario level code situation there um so it's and can use that f- uh, functionality to um collaborate on on things uh but it makes me wonder if they are anticipating having like a robust um like curation or like you know online like i i don't know if there's gonna be a place to just like browse creations um it seems like that may be um outside of game builder garage garage's purview um which is always you know it's always kind of a bummer when you gotta like seek out um codes uh in 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 other ways um but uh yeah i guess that that that's my that's my one like pre-release hang up here is like i i no matter what uh discoverability is always a problem on these things yeah and that that's kind of how i feel where like i agree with you that in theory it would be awesome to have like a well curated place that you could go and like find cool content but i feel like in practice you know mario maker was never never able to crack that nut like they had marketplaces or like they had like areas like that but trying to find good content was really difficult yeah, and so you might as well just rely on reddit or wherever you know i think that's where people were going for that kind of information anyways yeah. um 
but yeah do you think is that is it something that you're interested in do you think you'll check it out or yeah i mean there's the 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 part of me that uh you know wants to uh just like test my ability to uh, actually make something interesting um like i i will definitely pick this up i will definitely try to make at least one thing it'll be whatever it is and then i'll send it out to everyone who listens here <laughs> and everyone can play it if they want um but yeah i mean i i expect i expect it to be like um most uh you know kind of like diy things for me these days where like i will either fall into it and be really excited and engaged by it or like it'll lose me and it'll lose me fast so but i'm I'm absolutely gonna check it out i do feel like the the having to be 30 bucks instead of like 50 or 60 Helpful. makes it feel yeah. yeah where you're just like okay yeah like i can check this out and if i don't completely dig it it's at least not like wasting 60 bucks yep uh, we had a look at Nintendo's analysis of their fiscal year 20 uh, and slash 21 financials. And no surprise here, they had a really good year. Um, we're taking some of this from Imran Khan's uh, analysis from a piece he wrote on Fanbyte and, uh, or Fanbuy? Uh, Fanbyte, sorry. Oh, yeah, Fanbyte, fight. Uh, they have surpassed, so Nintendo has sold over 85 million Switch units. Uh, which is a 37% increase from the previous year, means that the Switch has now outsold the Game Boy Advance and has outpaced the Wii and the PS4. So the Switch is on pace to be the fastest-selling console to hit 100 million units sold um, fairly soon, which is just completely crazy. Yeah. All all good uh, markers to be blowing past. Yeah. Very impressive. I remember when, like, the Switch was about to come out or had just come out in Kimishima... Uh, the interim Ninten- president of Nintendo uh, between Iwata and um, Furukawa was saying, you know, that like, oh, yeah, we believe that the Switch ca- uh, can sell like the Wii did. And at the time, it was kind of difficult to believe, but it's just been wild to see the momentum that the system has had. Yeah, agree. Yeah, like last year, uh, the expectations were that they were going to sell 19 million units. And then uh, once the pandemic hit and uh, video game sales started going crazy, they revised it up to 24 million. But they still ended up exceeding that, selling 28.8 million switches last fiscal year. Um, That's so many switches. It's, it's a lot. 28.8 million switches is so many, especially when they expected to sell fewer than 20 million. Like, it's, it's I mean, that. Uh, as impressive as like all of these numbers are, that's the part that blows me away the most. That they were like, "Oh, okay, here's a here's what we expect," and then they're like, "Oh no, shoot, here's what we expect, way higher." And then like they got even way higher yeah. than that. So for this coming year, uh, the forecast is twenty five point five million right now. Uh, Pokemon, we of course you know like next year you have Pokemon Legends and Splatoon three. Um, but that's still a lot of switches, so it'll be interesting to see what has not been announced that uh, yeah. they're expecting will push hardware. And um, we're we're expecting updates. that there is something, right? We're, we're expecting. Sorry, we're expecting that there is something like big out there that like Nintendo hasn't shown us yet um, that will drive sales this year, right? There has to be. I, I think for sure, and you know we've. Uh, I think there forecast for software i can't remember exactly what it is but it's like less than they sold this year this past fiscal year um but still like a ton and so i yeah it it seems like something for the holiday is looming out there for sure um whether it's first party third party and then you know the uh uh switch revision is also kind of like right looming in some form or another whether it hits uh, this fall, sometime next year, um, before the end of the fiscal year, is just kind of. Uh, it does seem. I agree with you. It seems like that there is a lot out there, um, or at least something big that they're expecting to hit. Yeah. Um, speaking of something big, Animal Crossing New Horizons has now sold almost 33 million units. Uh, it sold 32.63 million, and to put that in perspective. Combined sales of all previous Animal Crossing games total 33.78 million. And so uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons is like a little over a million units from overtaking that and probably potentially has done it since like these 
uh, financial results have been um, announced. So, because their fiscal year ended at the end of March. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's been two months. Yeah. It's totally crazy. <laughs> Speaking of totally crazy, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe remains the best selling game on Switch at 35.39 million copies, selling 10.62 million in the last year alone. Uh, which is an outrageous number. Uh, uh, t- 10.62. That's like, although it's still only like a third of the Switches that sold last year, uh, which is insane to me. If you're buying a Switch, why are you not also buying Mario Kart 8 Deluxe? I don't understand. <laughs> it's also crazy that like uh, some of Nintendo's sales are so bonkers that like 10 point, almost 11 million units, like in, th- that's such a crazy insane high number for um like a a game to sell in and of itself like forever and ever yeah and so for it to be one year uh yeah that's crazy pikmin 3 deluxe has now sold over 2 million units again i think at this point far and away the best-selling pikmin game um of all time ring fit adventure has sold 10.11 million units uh which, uh, per Khan's analysis, secures it as the best-selling new IP RPG this generation, which is uh, hilarious. Love that. Love that. <laughs> uh, during the last fiscal year, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate sold 5 million units, which is more than all versions of Street Fighter V have sold since the game's release in February 2016. It's just... it's it. It it becomes like truly mind boggling when uh and it, it, Imran's piece is is really good at doing this of like showing uh the 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 comps to uh similar things or like like ideas on other platforms um and you know like Street Fighter Five is about as clear a comparison as you can make right like it is also um a, an exclusive to the platform that it's on um but it has been out for five years uh and versus the one year that uh uh super smash brothers sold that much um and also super smash brothers holds its price uh remains a 60 dollar game uh most versions of street fighter you can get for uh you know 10 or 20 dollars right now uh it was free on playstation plus for a little while um so i'm sure those all count as well um and then there's all that dlc on top of it that like people are buying the fighter packs um there are two of them if you bought them both, which I have, I've spent a hundred and twenty, <laughs> no, hundred and fifteen dollars on Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. So, like, I don't know. It's a, it is a surprising success story. Not that we don't expect Smash to be successful, but like, holy cow! Yeah, it, 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 it just really is hard to like wrap your brain around uh, the scale <laughs> yeah. of like the success that Nintendo is having right now. Um, Nintendo also announced that the CEO of Illumination Entertainment, Chris uh, Melendandri, has been nominated to join Nintendo as an outside director, subject to shareholder approval at the upcoming general meeting of shareholders in June. So Illumination Entertainment is, of course, the animation company uh, responsible for Despicable Me and the upcoming mario animated film so this seems to be a very big one vote of confidence in that project and two totally you know uh we had the interview a week or two ago with furukawa uh, president of nintendo furukawa saying that um uh they're very interested in animation in general and this is just i think another indicator that they're very serious about uh the potential for animation and like getting into the entertainment industry in general. Yeah. Well, and, and, and also as, as part of that same interview, there was the uh, like reassurance that Nintendo was still very interested in like driving people back to their games and that like Nintendo games were always going to be like sort of the uh, forefront, like the focus and like bringing in an animation person like this uh, or like a a movie studio CEO uh, type um, is uh, you know, a nice signal that they're like setting up a part of their business to like do this so they can continue to make games. Yeah. Um, I believe that this guy will be the first non-Japanese member of Nintendo's board of directors as well. They have other outside directors, but I think like uh, everyone um, has been Japanese previously. So it's, it's a very, again, I've have said so many times how, 
anxious I feel about the Mario movie. Keeps me out yeah, of the same. night, you know, like cold sweats, uh, pawing at my sheets. Just uh, can't sleep wondering what this is going to turn out to be. Um, and so, uh, but th- this is a big vote of confidence in whatever that project turns out to be. So I'll have to yeah, totally try to sleep better at night knowing that that's the case. On the previous news episode, we talked about Konami pulling out of E3 2021. Um, But this week, we got word of a handful of additional companies that are confirmed for the digital event, including Bandai Namco, uh, Sega, Square Enix, Exceed, Marvelous, um, which is the uh, publishers of Story of Seasons, No More Heroes, and the Yeez RPG series. And we are really close to E3. It's uh, June 12th through 15th. So we're only a month away. And I can't, I can't believe it. Like, it doesn't seem real to me. Yeah, after E3 went away last year, I was kind of like, <laughs> it was like, okay, E3 is not real. E3 is a figment of your imagination. It never happened ever. It'll never happen again. Um, and the fact that we are uh, but a month away um, from you know, gathering at uh, in in my apartment to discuss a uh, nice fat Nintendo Direct um, at, at an E3 presentation of some kind uh, is very exciting to me. When do you think we get like confirmation of Nintendo's plans? Like when I can't remember in years past when they were like, and here's when our Nintendo Direct is. Like, are we a few weeks away? Are we like mere hours away? I mean, the whole thing is a few weeks away, um, but yeah, it's 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 hard to say. Like, there was such a we we knew what to expect in years past, right? It was right, the, the Tuesday, the the Tuesday of E three. So like, when you know when Nintendo announced that there was going to be a direct, we were like, "Yep, great, thank you for uh, you know fulfilling the formality that is announcing the the direct." Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's the Wild West again. So um, it, it it'll be I'm. <laughs> I like that I'm to a point where like I just I'll, I'll be excited for the announcement of when they're yeah. going to do the thing we know they're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> totally, hundred uh, percent. Okay, um, I'm excited to see that uh, Square Enix is is on this list. Um, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, Sega and Bandai Namco. Um, but like Square Enix is one of those companies where uh, they they can at any point put out something that is very interesting to me or like I have absolutely zero <laughs> invested in. Um, so like the, the more, the more time we can see with like Square Enix's games, uh, you know, they, they've put out what, uh, I guess just the, the two, uh, big, um, like uh, switch exclusive, um, RPGs. And we've got that like Octopath Tactics. I forget, uh, Project Triangle Strategy is the name of that game. Um, and, uh, it would be awesome to see more of that. It would be awesome to see what they're going to do for switch, uh, coming up after that. It could be anything. I'm very excited. Yeah, totally. I you know, I always forget that they have like uh very western focused developers as well. Yeah. You know, like the Watchdog series and all that kind of stuff because I, you know, with Sony oh, Watchdogs not... is a uh, is a uh, Ubisoft. Oh, what's um Square's like equip they have like a uh um is it Oh, well, I don't know. Anyways, I feel like they have a franchise that's very similar. I yeah. clearly have never played them. Um but yeah, I uh uh with seg with Sony not participating in E3, um you're like, okay, well is would is Square Enix coming with like Sony games anyways? Does that mean that we are going to oh, yeah, get like uh you know, new stuff for Microsoft or for Nintendo? But I agree like um you know, uh E3 was always video game Christmas and so it's nice to see the big developers participating as much as possible. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so before we talk about this next thing, the guy that we're going to talk about has been getting really nasty comments from people online. So, and I know that our listeners would never do that. So I just want, but I just want to upfront say like, we're talking about this because we think it's interesting, not because we like, uh, for no other reason, you know, we don't have any agenda. Right, not, not to send anyone after him. And also uh, what we're about to talk about is something that I agree with and have been saying for a long time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. So former Retro Studios developer M- Michael Weekend, uh, who served who served as senior designer on all three main Metroid Prime games, 
and Donkey Kong Country Returns, uh, was spotted out in the wild commenting on a meme on Facebook, which ended up shedding some light onto the possibility of a Switch release of Metroid Prime Trilogy, something that has been heavily rumored for a few years now. Now, yeah, rumor, rumor to the point of like uh, obstinate expectation, right? Right. Um, where where people are like, "Where's Metroid Prime trilogy?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Rumor to the point where like I think the rumor is it is done, and Nintendo's just sitting on it for waiting till it gets closer to Metroid Prime Four. I know we've talked about it on this show before, um, and uh, and so yeah, there is an expectation out there in the world that it's kind of like a done deal, but um, this. But this is what uh, Michael had to say uh, of porting the the trilogy to Switch. Quote, that would take a lot of effort, so I am pretty skeptical it will happen. It, I, it was straightforward to update Metroid Prime 1 and 2 to motion controls, but converting Metroid Prime 3 to normal controls would be a her- Herculean effort, as it is scripted very specifically using volumetric triggers to detect the motion in precise manners to do specific switches, and the bosses are tuned to take into account the ease of gestural aiming. Super valid point, and something that I've talked about on the, the show a, a lot. Um, that uh, you know, n- not only is uh, do do we need to find or do they need to find a solution for the regular controls for Metroid Prime One and Two, which are now dated. Um, and don't feel right uh, when you're playing on a regular twin stick controller. Um, but Metroid Prime 3 is designed with uh, Wii remote pointer controls um, in mind um, and is very specific to that. And I know we're getting Skyward Sword, which is uh, something even more like that. But they had to bend over backwards to like build in this um, right stick uh, like functionality. And I think everyone is sort of expecting uh, Skyward Sword to be like a sort of less... <clears throat> lesser than um or like just not exactly what was uh, envisioned so i this this is what he's uh communicating here is that like he doesn't see it as uh not non-feasible but not automatic not easy and not quick or cheap yeah yeah and it, he goes on um and writes quote the biggest issue is retro no longer has functional editor tools to work with the prime code base so everything has to be brute force hard-coded. Rebuilding the hundreds of interaction sets in Me- Metroid Prime 3 alone, not to mention re- retuning the game play to take in the slower engagement pacing of conventional controls, would probably take a year with a five to f- four to five person full-time team by itself. So again, like uh, this gentleman hasn't worked for Retro for you know like a decade and doesn't seem to have the inside scoop. But I think it's really interesting to know, like, Patrick, you know, like, you have talked about how challenging it would be, but it's also interesting to hear from, like, a technical perspective how much work it requires. So even if it does turn out to be true that Metroid Prime Trilogy exists, then you know, like, it's interesting to know the work that Nintendo would have had to go through in order to, like, make it happen. Yeah, and all of that is without uh, taking into consideration that you are necessarily uprising it from standard definition to, to HD. Like it, it, it you, uh, all of it. It's so much, um, and I know that like we're just we we ex- expect it and have gotten to a place where we're just like, yeah, one of these days they're just going to drop it, and I'm sure we've even said that on this show. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like that's it's just. Uh, not the case. And Mark, I, I didn't realize that uh, this guy was getting like some hate or some people were like flaming on him for this. Um, that's so stupid. It is, yeah. Especially like, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think people were upset and no surprise, like, uh, angry at him and saying like, no, like he just doesn't get it and making fun of it's all. It's all like, uh, unfortunate because the information that he's giving is actually super, super interesting. Yeah. Whether whether yeah, like well, Metroid I, Prime trilogy turns out to be yeah. real or not. Well, and also like it doesn't matter how much you want it to be real or not. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like, I I feel like so much of the expectation about this thing existing is just like based in people being fans of the original or fans of the uh, first trilogy collection, um, and just being like, all they have to do is put my favorite thing out now, and everyone will be happy. Um, and like that may be true, but it won't be as simple as you think it is. Like there are so many 
you know, uh, people wouldn't stop complaining about the uh, lack of features in Super Mario 3D All-Stars. And they weren't wrong to do that either, right? So, like, there's, there, there's, just, there's just so much here. Um, and uh, someone who worked on the original games being like, well, hold on, guys, it might be tricky, uh, is no, no reason to, like, go after the guy. Like, he may be giving you bad news, but, like, what more authoritative, like, bad news source could you possibly have than someone who worked on the first three games? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I completely agree. Um, and finally, GameStop revealed an exclusive pre-order bonus for Mario Kart Golf Super Rush, a pin set. Ooh. <laughs> it's cute. I don't know. That's, you know, we, uh, the, it was exciting to get those, um, the pin sets, uh, with the Mario, um, 3D All-Stars, uh, collection. This is just a, um, you know, a, a set of uh, Mario and Peach. Uh, it looks like he's golfing and she's just like running around on the golf course. Which I guess makes sense because that's like the new like part of it, multiplayer yeah. mode that they introduced. So, uh, Mark, does this swing it for you? Does this mean that you'll be buying the game from GameStop? It doesn't. Pre-ordering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does not. Um, I don't really know where I land on Mario Golf Super Rush in general. I think it looks cute. Um, but I, I think for me, it'll really kind of depend on how the RPG elements, like the story mode of it kind of pans out or if like the multiplayer is really engaging. Yeah. You don't want to get Mario tennis aces again. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right, Mark, let's get out of the news. That is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts if you like the episode. Please share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share stuff. It helps us out when you do that. Um, man, we just we ask people for so much, don't we? <laughs> review us, share the episodes. Um, in any event, we, we, we love it when you do that. We love it when you just listen to us, too. Um, you can uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nincart Society. There is also a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying, please, my father was Mr. 11121113111. Call me 11121113111. And thanks for listening. Oscar, Rachel, do you like Disney movies? Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen all of them? Yeah, we saw all the Disney animated movies. And we saw all the Pixar animated movies, too. How about the DCOMs? What? <gasps> the Disney Channel original movies. You should listen to our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault, because we are watching all of them in chronological order. Yeah, and we do fun segments like we cast each other. That's right, and my favorite segment, Zaddy Watch, where we rank every single DCOM daddy. Ooh, you can listen to all this fun stuff on our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault on Campfire Media, wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, guys, let's get back in the vault. It's cold out here. <laughs> Campfire, 